The trumpets have sounded and the end is nigh. But have no fear, your prophet is here. I'm the Fresh King Benjamin, host of Vibing the Apocalypse, a podcast that uses comedy to bring injustices that I went through to light. I'm an escapee from a Mormon polygamous compound in Wyoming. I was taught that the world was a wicked, wicked place. But now that I've escaped, I want you to show me all the wicked things and help me catch up on what I missed out on. Check out Vibing the Apocalypse right here on Ride the Wave Media. This is Sarah Elbert with Daybreak Treasures Boutique, and I would like to let you know about some watercolor workshops coming up. We have a Winter Wonderland watercolor with Shelly Clough at Biscott's Bakery. That's 6172 Westlake Avenue in South Jordan on Thursday, January 18th, 530 to 8 p.m. Go sign up at daybreaktreasures.com, art workshops, and book your spot. Hey guys, it's Just Blaine, Bex, and Sarah here. We all three got something in common. Take a guess what it is. Or don't. I'll tell you, we all have been going to the Daybreak Business Networking Lunches. Bex, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we have. That's actually where we met our good friends. Sarah, thank you for setting those up. They have been so much fun. Sarah, I know you have some exciting news to announce of where our group is headed in the month of January. So go ahead and share those details. Yeah, January, we're moving over to Novell Daybreak Apartments in the clubhouse. So please come on out and meet us there. Every Wednesday at 1 p.m., business owners of Daybreak, get out here. You got to. This has been one of the best things for all the business owners that have been a part of this for the last couple of months. Don't miss out. 1 p.m. on Wednesdays, Novell Daybreak Apartments. See you there. The following program is powered by Ride the Wave Media. Introducing the best podcast in Utah, Radio Daybreak. Here are your hosts, Just Plain and Bex. Oh, yes, here we are. I'm excited. I'm really excited. This is going to be a good show, but I'm also excited because RadioDaybreak.com is now up, Bex. It is up and running. We are official. Super official. Who did that website for us? It looks so awesome, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So great. Yeah, so it is Sawyer Norman and Kaylee from Agency. They are rock star marketers. Love them. They did such an awesome job. Tweaked our logo up a little bit. Kind of gave us a little bit of a retro vibe. And let us know, you guys. Let us know what you think. So www.radiodaybreak.com. Go check it out. We're up and running. Blaine. Yeah, what's up? You're wearing a scarf today. I'm just yeah. wondering about the scarf. Like, what's going on? I am wearing a scarf, and we're inside, so we're not recording this outside or anything. But yeah. it's cold outside. Like, it's cold everywhere. Have you looked? Check this out. There was an NFL game over the weekend. It was the uh, oh, Chiefs, yeah. Chiefs, and um, the Dolphins. First of all, how are you going to get the Miami Dolphins to come out there and play in negative thirty? I don't know. I feel pretty bad for Tua though. Like, was, what? Yeah, what? It was, the, it was the fourth coldest game in NFL history. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes got hit so hard his helmet got cracked. You're telling me that's safe oh, for those guys? Yeah. Speaking of the NFL, Rocket yeah. Wave Media dropped a sports show talking about all this over the weekend. Right, yes. Former NFL player, former Denver Broncos, still works for the organization, Nick Ferguson, and a good buddy of mine, Alex Hardy. That's hey, he's no stranger to the cold. He's no stranger to the cold up there in Denver. I, look, I asked <laughs> Nick, what's the coldest temp you ever played in? I, call, I asked yeah. him while we were watching that game, and he said – 15 degrees and six windshield. So that's chilly, but that was not close to negative 30. He said, I, and, and Nick played in the CFL. He played up in Canada at one point, too. Okay. Never, never hit those temperatures like that. He said that Ooh. would not have been fun in that yeah, Kansas City no. Chiefs game. I mean, that, yeah, that was the Bills, the Bills game was canceled, right? Or they postponed? They, yeah, they, they moved it. To, and they just played it a couple days ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's crazy what the weather's doing and, and moving stuff around. Just wild. What do you got going on, Bex? Well, I mean, besides falling on the ice on my front steps this morning, trying to shovel the ice and snow off my front porch. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just a little bit of a left knee injury at this point. Speaking of cold, but yeah, we're, we're recovering, but we've got so many fun things coming up, Blaine. We've got so much coming up. We've got the uh, daybreak business network meetings. We've got that every Wednesday from one to two thirty. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. We're going to be introducing our good friend Ben here in just a little bit, but he also comes to those network meetings. So come and say hello. That's right. Yeah. We also have some awesome artwork shops that are coming up every Tuesday evening, five thirty to eight, and those are going to be beginning the end of January. Check out our socials. You know, kind of keep keep your eyes on our socials, and we'll have more information to come on that. 
And then the third thing that I wanted to tell you about is Business in Bloom, which oh, is yes. tomorrow night, 5 to 7. I am actually sponsoring this. I'm super excited. So this is women supporting women and highlighting women's businesses that are growing. And we are going to be featuring three awesome women CEOs with a focus on health and wellness. New year, new you. So super excited about that coming up tomorrow night. I see Courtney of Prism Healing, Cambridge, yes. Kaya Community, and Lisa Canella's Aesthetics are the ones that are yes. going to be there at Business in Bloom, January 17th. That's tomorrow if you're listening to this yep. on day one, five, five to seven, Biscott's Cafe, 6172 Westlake Avenue. Get down there. You That's going to be awesome. That's going to be so much you fun. Sorry you're not invited. Hey, it's all right. <laughs> We're working on business in dirt. We're working uh, on business and dirt yeah. events coming up soon. So I love it. I love it. No, I'm but, super excited. But, but the but the business networking is where we met our guest yeah. for today. Yes. Now, he's got a new show. It's called Vibing the Apocalypse. It's right here on Ride the Wave Media. It came out. It's already out. There's episode is episode one is out. He's got so awesome. an incredible story. But but let me set this up. Let me set this up for you because me and Ben actually are, are, are very much alike. We grew up pretty much the same way okay we grew up on, on big farms hundreds of acres middle of nowhere correct me correct me if i get off base here ben he's with us now lots of family around we were self-sufficient we were living off the land me and him both left the small town for the big city got educated had families yada 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 but there is one part here where our venn diagrams they don't just like they become two separate circles like it's not even not even close there's a little big difference here and ben ben thank you for coming to the show tell us real briefly what that difference is yeah the difference is that i have 75 moms <laughs> i'm just kidding i have three moms i wish i wish it were 75 that would make it a lot more impressive oh yeah yeah yeah, so we've got to dive into that, obviously, Ben. We are going to be, or yeah, we're just going to, let's just jump into it. Version. I mean, you can you can catch the full story on my podcast, Vibe in the Apocalypse, dropped this week. But short short version is I grew up in a, in a Mormon polygamous cult, which is not as much fun as it sounds like. We were in a tiny little compound on outside of a little town in Wyoming. And we were ready for the end times. Like we were preparing for Jesus coming back, the apocalypse, they sent me out into the wicked world to prepare the wicked world for his coming. And I got wildly distracted by all of the wickedness <laughs> and just okay. never went back. And now I'm a stand-up comic and I'm using comedy to kind of raise awareness about some of the abuses in the, the world of Mormon polygamy mm. and to try to, help, try to help make the world a little bit of a better place here in Utah and for anyone that's dealing with religious trauma. Wow. So, so that that, that kind of answers my next question for you. If you, if you <clears throat> escaped Mormonism, did you really? Because you came to Utah. This is the <laughs> this is like the mega yeah, part. Yeah, so that's that's what that's kind of the funny part, right? Is that I I tell people like I I escaped to the vast and liberal metropolis of Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh yeah, the main <laughs> streets of Salt Lake. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> <The main> hard <laughs> streets. <laughs> well, if if I remember your history, this is where you went to school, right? So this is I where you. In, I went to school in Southern Utah. Okay. So I in Southern Utah for a little bit, and then I did. I came to I came to Salt Lake actually for the comedy scene because I I wanted to to break into stand up comedy. But yeah, I say escaped, and I don't mean that I had to like crawl under a barbed wire fence, you know, like yeah. there, there were like floodlights and dogs like trying to chase me. Snipers um, in the towers and snipers in a tower. I mean, yeah. there might be that now. Now yeah. the, the, the world has kind of gotten that world has gotten a little more extreme than it than it has than it was when I was there. But what I really mean is that I I was part of a I was part of almost two hundred years of systemic programming mm. that sort of locked me into a view of the world that was very isolationist, that was very doom and gloom, that, you know, it, it, it taught me that there were basically 10,000 righteous people on earth and that they were, they were us. And that we had, the, we had a direct line to God. God really only talked to us and everyone else was lesser or fallen. When you've got all of that programming in your brain, yeah. it really is quite difficult. I, I was telling Blaine earlier, like, I'm, I'm essentially, I think of myself as kind of an internal immigrant, mm -hmm. meaning that I, I didn't immigrate here from, you know, from Mexico or from Europe or from Asia or anywhere else, but I had to immigrate out of 
a like I didn't have a social security number when I was a kid. I would no, didn't I was to bring that up. I mean, you weren't I even the government didn't even know that you existed until you I, right until I kind school, of stepped right? out and I have to figure out like I have to figure out insurance. I have to figure out jobs. I have to figure uh, out um, how to talk to people without calling them to repentance, which wow. is pretty difficult because uh, everyone out here is. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed how many people out here are showing their elbows. But there is just so much wicked <laughs> sinning happening. Sorry about that. Right there. Back. <laughs> Sorry, my elbows are showing. Wrap <laughs> a scarf around your neck like Blaine. <laughs> Keep it covered up. That's oh, what they, my word. That, that's what they would say out there, though, right? They'd say, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I grew up believing that, that it was, you know, inappropriate to show anything, you know, other than your hands, your you know, your hands, your face, no, no, like basically the body is, su the body is such a sacred temple that we have to keep it covered with a burlap sack because any, any amount of skin, which has made it really a little bit obnoxious as someone who's out here, like trying to date and stuff, because I get, I get turned on a little too easily. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I see somebody, her, I part of your neck. Yeah. Somebody rolls up their sleeves and I'm like, oh mama, stop. Yeah. The rest is showing. <laughs> right. I see a little bit of a clavicle and I'm like, stop, get me out of here. Oh my word. Well, your story is so fascinating. And I see, you know, that your name here is the Fresh King Benjamin. Can you speak to that a little bit? Tell me more about that name. Yeah. So, so in the in the Book of Mormon, which is you know uh, that, that's something I was raised as as believing was scripture, right? There's a there's a character in that book who's called King Benjamin. He's the most righteous king that has ever existed in the entire existence of ever, and he is famous for basically uh, building a tower and then talking from that tower, like giving a speech, a sermon from that tower that's so powerful that everyone who hears him is converted to to Christianity. And I was really bummed that I was named after him because my brother, I have a brother who's 13 days older than me. So we're, mm. we're essentially twins because wow. my, my, my mom and then my dad's other wife, they got married, they got pregnant at the same time. Yep. And, and so he's, he's like, I had always been in my world. He was named Ammon. And if you don't know, Ammon in the Book of Mormon is a badass. Like he goes down, he preaches to the Lamanites. Some of them don't listen to him. And so he chops their arms off. Chopping off arms, all kinds of. Arms like crazy. It's insane. And I'm like, that seems like way cooler than like building <laughs> a tower and giving a speech from it. But then I started doing, I started doing stand-up comedy and I suddenly realized that I had sort of inadvertently not exactly lived the life that my parents had wanted me to. Like I don't, I didn't, they sent me out, they raised me to believe that I was a prophet that I was supposed to go out and convert the world to Mormon polygamy. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that, right? But I am professing, right? I am, I do get on stages, which are towers. Yeah. And, and talk about my experience and talk about the, the I, I try to take a comedic view of, of religious trauma and help people process and, and understand that that's, that that's something that they can work through with humor, right? With comedy. And so when I had that realization, I was like, I think I'm just going to lean into this. So I had a, a buddy of mine who, who was a, a brander and he helped me put together a really cool brand. And I was like, well, I'm kind of like King Benjamin. And then the person that was branding us with us, she's like, well, you're not really like, you're really more like a fresh King Benjamin. Uh, and she was playing off of, I guess there's a show called the, the Fresh Prince. Prince. Yes. Uh -huh. Bel Air. Yeah. Which I've never seen because I haven't seen most things, but it was kind of a play on that. And then also just a play on I'm, I'm fresh in this world right? Like I'm, I'm brand new. I haven't done most things. I listened to Nirvana for the first time, like six months ago. What'd you think? Oh, wow. I, listened, I listened to my very first Nirvana song, Smells Like Teen, teen Spirit, oh, yeah. changed my life. Yeah. And then after that, hey, I was like, hey, that changed a lot of people's lives. The first yeah. Time. I was going to say, don't, yeah. Don't feel, it's yeah. Not the only one. <laughs> I believe it. It was magic. And so I'm listening to this and I'm actually doing it on like a live, right? So I'm doing it on a live on TikTok and I've got people like, I'm like, oh my God. And there are, everyone's like, and I'm, I, I turn to the people and I'm like, you guys, is Nirvana still around? Like, do they tour? Can I go see them? <gasps> and everyone's like, we have terrible news for you. Yeah. <laughs> you can see yeah. Dave Grohl. He was a member of it. Yeah, the there you go. So that's about as close as you can get now. But yeah, <laughs> some bad stuff happened with. Like, yeah. So Kirk. I learned, I yeah. learned that Kurt Cobain was a thing. Yeah. Yes. And then five seconds later, I learned that he had killed himself. He I was like, yeah. Oh, totally crushed. But I mean, the things that you talk about, you know, like not having a social security number, listening to Nirvana six months ago, maybe kind of not understanding some of those 
social norms and you know, Blaine, your whole world is pretty much entertainment. So I'm sure when the two of you get together and talk, there's some things that are totally lost on you, Ben. Or Yeah, everything that you guys said earlier about the the NFL, yeah. I have no idea what you're even talking about. Oh. I think that's football, but I don't... I watched a Super Bowl once and I didn't understand what was happening um, and no one really could explain it. So I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. It takes wow. years to learn those sports. I, you can't yeah. really sat and taught while watching yeah. it once like yeah that's something, that's I, something I really want to do some days I really want to go to a sporting event with a bunch of like hardcore fans where, they, where it's really important and everyone really cares about it and I just want to get swept up in in that like in like yes that, I'll probably paint my chest it, it might remind you of religion because that kind of fandom is yeah is very comparable it's to yeah, it's awesome. of extreme religions, of, of, yeah. of course, especially. So, yeah. Well, and that's actually something that I've, I've kind of, because I've been on an interesting journey with, with my relationship to, to religion. Because when I left, when I left the compound and then I eventually left religion entirely, I, I, I went on kind of a big science kick. I was like, I only believe in science and what's real and what's like what I can test and stuff. And I was that way for like six or seven years. And I, I, I learned a lot, right? I took a bunch of courses. I, I tried to fill my, my head with facts because I felt like I, my whole life had been a life of like lies and myth. And I wanted to know what was real, right? Yeah. And after, after a couple of years of that, I, I started to really feel like it was, even though I, I really valued the grounding and the, the reality of that, of that experience, I also felt like that world felt a little bit, felt a little stale, for me, mm. it felt a little like sterile, like a like a clean doctor's room or mm-hmm. something. There wasn't any kind of magic in it that I felt I kind of longed for in my soul. Yeah. What I, what I realized through that experience is <clears throat> I actually read this fascinating book by a uh, 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 Israeli historian. His name's Yuval Noah Harari. It's called Sapiens. Mm. And in it, he's it's a brief history of humankind, and he essentially makes the point that the reason that humans are different from other species is because of our ability to cooperate. And the way that we cooperate is by telling each other fictions. Hmm. That we invent stories, things that are not literally true. We invent myths, and those myths enable us to to cooperate. Like, if you ask what built the pyramids, it was aliens. Mm -hmm. But in addition to it being aliens, it was the belief that Pharaoh was God. So if a whole bunch of humans believe that Pharaoh is God, they build the pyramid. They'll do it. And what that sort of showed me is that kind of brought me back to belief as a human tool. That Mm. belief is actually something that we utilize. as It's actually a a very human thing. And so I wanted to be able to to step into a space of belief where I didn't feel like it was tainted by some of my religious trauma. Mm. That that I could sort of let that be. The the experience that I had in, in, in Mormonism you know, Mormonism is very young, right? It's 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Christianity is, is really young. Christianity is 2,000 years old. Humans have been believing things. Human belief is hundreds of thousands yeah. of years old, yeah. right? It is like baked into our bones. And so the idea of going to like a sporting event and actually treating that as a spiritual, mystical experience and really letting myself get caught up in that fervor, like that sounds like a transcendent, beautiful human experience that I would love to have. Okay. Well, you're talking to your friend here and you know, my, my NFL team is the Vikings. I know y'all. I know, I know, I know. You don't need to tell me. I've already heard everything. We got to go to a game next year. I would love that. We got to go to a game. The Vikings sound great because I could wear horns and I could, yes. like, I could like tear my shirt off and like, be it'll be great. <laughs> it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. But I would imagine that that experience and what you're talking about and going through all of that provides for so much comedy content. So speak a little bit to how you got involved in, in comedy and tell us a little what you're involved in. Yeah. So I, I've always been, I, I've always like held court, meaning that I, I like being th- the funny one, right? Yeah. I like if I'm, I once, I once had this realization, I, I worry sometimes telling people this cause I don't want them to feel scared about this. But if I have to choose between saying something that's true and saying something that's funny, I will always say the funny thing mm-hmm. because to me, funny is actually the most truth. Like the most true thing is the funny thing because comedy is about, comedy is always present. It brings us back to where we are. It helps us transcend 
pain, grief, sorrow, like all of the darkness of the human experience, if you can find a way to laugh at it, then you're, you're fine. So after I, after I left, I, I had, I, I, I would sort of tell people stories about how I grew up and often I would think that they were pretty funny. I would tell people stories that I thought were, were hilarious and then they would look at me like, are you okay? <laughs> Like after, that, that's rough. You got some trauma in there going. Like, like, yeah. like maybe, maybe talk to someone about that first. Oh. After, after a couple of times of doing that, I had this realization. I, I, I was in, I was at like a business conference in Atlanta. I was kind of walking around and I just, it sort of dawned on me. I was like, oh, I think I'm traumatized. I think I have, I think I have unresolved trauma in my body, in my psyche that I just need to deal with. And so I Googled, I Googled trauma therapist in my city. And I found this really awesome lady, her name was Stacy. And I, I called her up and I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure, I gave her like a rundown of my background. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm traumatized. And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you are too. <laughs> wow. Oh my so word. I, I went in, I did a ton, of, a ton of work with her. A lot of psycho, so a lot of releasing trauma from my body. And, and what sort of happened after I did that is that I, my, my soul started to express. So I started to just express what was naturally inside of me not what I thought I needed to do or what other people wanted me to do. I just kind of like started to be me. And mm -hmm. as I started to do that, I started to realize that I, I'm a really creative person. I started playing guitar and writing songs. I started writing, I started writing comedy. And, and I realized that I had this sort of experience where I, I wrote a song that was really, really sad. And I played it to a bunch of my friends and they all cried. That was the song that I played at the, the show that you guys went to. It was band. so good. Yeah, it was like heartfelt, deep. Yeah. 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 And that was like a really true part of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after I wrote that song, I wrote another song that is just stupid and funny about the same thing. So it's like, mm. I took the same journey and I, so I told it in a sad way and then I took it and I told it in a funny way because I realized that the, one of the most important mm -hmm. and true parts of my soul is that my life was never, ever going to be a tragedy. My life was always going to be a comedy. Mm. And so comedy humor is just baked into who I am. So at that time I was living in Southern Utah and, and I knew that the Southern Utah scene for comedy was, there's really nothing there. And so I decided to move to Salt Lake. That's when I moved to Daybreak. Mm -hmm. And I got really lucky because I have a house in Daybreak that's right close to the tracks. I can literally jump on the train and in an hour I can be at the comedy club. That's awesome. And, and I, I went and I did my first open mic in May of 21 and killed. Like I, I got up there, big laughs. I got laughs that I didn't even expect that I was going to get. And it was just electrifying the entire, I came up with that like buzzing. And then I met, I met a friend, his name's Mark. He's a, a comedian who does, who does shows around here. He's, he's hysterical. And he coached me for a little bit. He let me get up and he, one, he, I told him a little bit about, about my background and he was like, you have a gold mine. Yes. <laughs> because of the, the polygamy, right? And it's not, that, it's not that all of my jokes are about polygamy. It's that my comedy is also all about observation, mm -hmm. right? So my observations, because of my background, are really different. They're really unique. Yes. I can bring kind of this fresh perspective that's really never been heard before because of that background. And so I, I, I started doing that. I started opening. I started writing a lot. I had three minutes. Three minutes became five minutes. Five minutes became 15 minutes. 15 minutes became a half hour. And then- 60 minutes set and- Yeah. And, people, was, and, and after oh. 60 minutes, people would have sat there for another 60 to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So it, like- Yeah. And, so, and then I started, I did, I did my first headlining, my first, I headlined a comedy club for a full hour, March of last year of 2023. Wow. And then, and then I just kept, I kept doing that. So I'm, I'm headlining about once a month now, usually at the local club here at, at Wise Guys. And, and it's awesome, right? I'm still, I'm still very new, right? I'm, I'm two, almost three years in now. It's a, it's a long process. Like I'm learning a lot. I'm getting, my skills are, are growing every time, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really magical. I just, I just love it. It's a great way for you to amplify the trauma that you've been to, to bring to light because not yeah. a lot of people realize that there's, there's child trafficking, child, child labor, like all this stuff is happening. You went through that. Yeah, you completely. And I love that you called that out and spoke to that on your show, like at your show. That yeah, you part of, part of what I want to do and, and what I do do is I, I have a, a friend, her name's Sherry, and she runs an organization called Cherish Families, which mm. is, there are several organizations in Utah that are that try to help people who exit polygamy because it's really difficult. Like it's even even for me and I'm I'm sort of lucky because I was I was 
I was pretty smart. I was able to go to college. You know, and I'm, I'm, also a, I'm also a man. And so I wasn't like married off to an old dude. So I had a couple of things working in my favor. And even for me, it's been incredibly difficult. And it's and not just difficult, it's been expensive. I don't yeah. think people understand how, how much money is a barrier to therapy, to, to having good housing, to having jobs, right? There, you're just so much on the outside of the world that you don't know how to really interact. Mm. And I had to figure out a lot of that for myself. That feels incredibly unfair to me. So many of these kids and so many of these women and even so many of these men, they, they didn't ask to be born into into these cults. They didn't ask to be born into these worlds that, that taught them the things that, that sort of isolated and, and, and abused them and manipulated them. And we don't do very much. Like we are, we're really wealthy in Utah. We have a lot of money and very little of that money goes towards supporting people who are exiting. Because I think that polygamy is kind of Utah's dirty little secret. We're all a little bit embarrassed by it. We're all sort of like, we all kind of want to pretend like it doesn't really happen. But the reality is that there are literally thousands of children, thousands of children in the state of Utah who are growing up in less than ideal circumstances, who are, even, even if the, even if the families are loving and kind and doing their best, there's still abuse and there's Mm -hmm. still neglect because they're having 15, 20, 30 children and you can't have, I mean, you guys have kids, you know. You can't possibly, possibly care for that many children. You haven't even children told us. How many yeah. brothers and sisters do you have? You didn't even I have give 15. us a number. I have 15. And, and, and that's you're number that's two. Probably, I'm number three. I'm, not, I'm the number third. Number three. Or I'm the third of 16. And, and, and that's, those are kind of small potatoes. I, I tell people that I'm a little bit ashamed of my dad because he didn't put up the numbers that he could have. <laughs> With three wives and, and, you know, three wives, 16 kids. That's like five point. Like, what are you doing, Dad? Well, what's, well, what's, what's your, your uncle? Your uncle is Cody Brown. from. from My uncle's Cody Brown. I think he has 20. I think he has upwards of 20. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, actually. I actually don't know how many cousins I have. I stopped counting cousins at 85, 15 oh years ago. Can you remember all their names? No, God, no. Family reunions got to be crazy for you. Family reunions are, they're wild and crazy. The kind of the fun part about family reunions is a a lot of my generation have left. And so there's sort of this, there's sort of like this underground, like we all go into the top floor of the, of the Airbnb and drink. Yeah. Have a a great time. But yeah, I mean, there's thousands of those kids and, and and that's just like the best case scenario. They're isolated. They're they're neglected mm-hmm. and they are, they're having to care. Like I, I became a parent, right? I was, I was a primary care provider for my younger brother when I was like 14, mm-hmm. right? When I was 15 years old, I went in, I just went to my parents and I essentially emancipated myself. I told them, you don't need to worry about me anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got it. I'm going to, I'm going to manage myself now because they were just so overwhelmed yeah. by everything that they had going on. And that's what I wondered. Like the, the older kids then probably start to take care of the, the youngers. And then the, you know, maybe the six moms would take care of the little babies, but you know, you, you older kids start raising kids. Other children. And then, and then in addition to that, mm. there's a lot of, of labor trafficking and labor trafficking. That's a loaded term. People, people in my family, some people on the internet get really angry when I use that term to describe it. But I'm, I'm, the reason I'm using that, that term is because it's accurate. And because one of the things that's been the most empowering for me is to learn that out, out here in the wicked world, we have, we have words that mean things for a reason, mm-hmm. right? So I, was, I taught high school for a, a couple of years right after I left, which was odd because I didn't go to high school. <laughs> so I just like read the books before the kids got there. But one of the things I had to do while I was teaching high school is I had to take classes on, as part of my certification, to, I had to take classes on how to recognize human trafficking mm. when it's happening, right? And when people think of human trafficking, they generally think of like the Tim Ballard, like kicking down doors in Guatemala to save kids from, which is like so rare that it almost never happens because what usually happens is it's someone that you, it's a family member and it's usually happening in their in your own communities. And labor trafficking is simply defined as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to exploit labor from someone. Hmm. And that's what happened to me, right? I was told as a young child that the world was wicked and that Jesus was coming back 
and that because of that, we had to work in a bakery to support a ranch that would be used as a place of refuge when the last days happened that all of the righteous people could flee to, right? I was defrauded. I was lied to. None of that is true, but I was told that it was true. And then that lie was used to manipulate me, to force me to work 16 hour days in, in an industrial bakery. And you're how old? And I'm like 14, right? Wow. I start working there when I'm eight. By the, time I'm, by the time I'm 14, I'm working 16 hour days easily and I'm getting injured, right? It's a, it's a really, it's a messy situation, right? But I don't see that as abnormal. If you were to no, that's all you've ever known and all you've ever been taught. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's like Plato's um, allegory of the cave. I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. ever heard the allegory of the cave, but it's basically yeah. there's prisoners in a cave and all they see is the shadows on the wall. That's their reality. Mm-hmm. When one gets out, he finds out, well, those shadows are made by something else. But the people who are still in there don't have any, they don't, they don't care to get out because that's still their reality. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. And that is that's scary. It is. Yeah, it's scary, scary and it's, it's really difficult. And there's lots of, there's lots of, the, the tragedy for me is that there's, there's adults, right, who are stuck there, right, mm-hmm. who are kind of chained in that cave. And then there are, then there are children, right? And so in Utah, right, the, there's, there are children who are being exploited to do, to do, to build homes, right? Yeah. I don't know the, the exact percentages, but a lot of, a lot of polygamists are construction workers. They have construction companies. And in a lot of those crews, there are, t- there are underage children who are doing work, who are probably undocumented, who are probably not attending school, and are probably getting little to no pay. And that is, that's what, those are the people that are building some of our houses, right? How, how my family did a, did a bakery. Right, so there's there, that's happening just under the surface, and because as a as a community in Utah, we're so embarrassed and ashamed to talk about. We don't want to. We want to pretend that there aren't polygamists because it feels like yeah. it feels like a dirty little secret. But they're here. Yeah, we're, when, we're you, all when, here. when you see them at Costco, it's like oh, you hear the whispers and and, and, and yeah, yeah. But that's Ben's experienced that firsthand, right, Ben? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would like, go. I would go to Costco all the time and get the, uh, the whispers. You, and know, you, you guys know. You know what the people are saying like it's not you at least know that part but how how do you escape how did you escape like what is that process was it literally you said deuces i'm out what was the breaking point for you and when you finally walked away and did you ever go back yeah so i i i would i would sort of track my leaving very early on where i i was always a really curious kid i learned how to read very early on and i was always really curious and so my mom my dad had a rule where I, that I couldn't read any book that he didn't read, read first. Mm. And my dad, my mom, she, she, I, I like, I love that she did this for me because she, that was like one area where she went to that. She was like, no, 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 we're going to let him. So she would take me to the library. And so she just kind of let me read whatever I wanted to. So even while I was in the cult, I was still, uh, my mind was being exposed to other things. Yeah. And, and so my world was a little bit bigger than the world that I was growing up in. And then when I was when I was 17, my my parents decided that they wanted to send me to college. Not because that's a path for most polygamous children, but they believed that they needed to have a like a lawyer in their family to help mm. protect them and the mm. broader polygamous community from prosecution. Wow. So they decided to send you me were to the me. chosen lawyer. I was the cho- chosen lawyer. Yeah. And and so they sent me to college, and they were like, "Be careful! Like, don't listen to any of the wicked things that they tell you." remember what you've been taught, but go and, and learn. And, you know, I was at college for a couple of years and that was my first real exposure to the, to a broader world. And it really wasn't even that diverse of a world. Cause I went from a predominantly polygamous community to a predominantly LDS community. Mm. And that was liberalizing for me. That was expansive for me, even though I think most people would say that, that an LDS community is, is a little bit like, that's still not the whole world. Right. So I was, well, you, felt, you felt comfortable enough in that I felt comfortable but enough. Like, oh, it was familiar yeah. enough, and eventually, yeah. you know, I, I, I was able to go. I, I got really lucky. I was able to go and do a, a mission trip in Uganda, in Africa, for a mm. summer while I was at college. Wow. And the 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 polygamous communities are kind of they're old school Mormon, and so they have a lot of the early sort of racist policies that were a part of Mormonism that some some versions have kind of moved on from. Mm. They are still very steeped in that, and that had always like. 
that had always like really hurt my my soul mm-hmm. because I knew I knew what it felt like to be a minority mm-hmm. because I was in this community of like I we were in this outside of this community and we were the ones that everyone kind of whispered and talked about and we were the outsider. We were I experienced all of that. Yeah. And so so it felt weird to me to then to then direct that same energy towards someone because of the color of their skin but then i had i had sort of this conflict right of like what what felt good and true in my body and what i was being told by all of the trusted people who were you know the adults around me who were telling me about the world and i'm sort of wired to trust them what what the world is like so i go to i go to uganda and i just fall in love with all of the people and I'm like, wow. there's nothing different. Yeah. There's no difference between. And you're them. in your early 20s. Like you're exposed to this in your I'm early like 18. 20s. Yeah, I'm like 18. Okay. Yeah, young. And mm-hmm. and so I come back. I come back, and that's sort of a crack that kind of pushes me into. I I I can't stay in this polygamous bubble. This this mm-hmm. world is too small for me. And so I end up joining the LDS Church. I tell people that that was my diet cult, because it sort of like weaned me off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because it allowed me to kind of maintain some of the belief structures while yeah. also, while also sort of jettisoning some of the, like some of the racism and some yeah. of the, the, the polygamy, some of the stuff that had felt yucky to me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was LDS for, I, I got married. I had a couple of kids. We were LDS for about five or six years. And, and then eventually that world also felt too small for me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I left the LDS church and left Mormonism entirely when I was about 25 or 26. And, and then that's sort of what catapulted me into kind of this healing journey. Cause I'd realized at that point that my entire life had been lived, not from, not, not from like inside of my soul, not kind of the spark that drove my life. I'd lived my entire life based on what I thought God wanted me to do. God as interpreted by someone, someone else, like some prophet, some person telling me what that is rather than me understanding what my soul really wanted. And, so, and now I, you're, so then you leave and you're on your own and, and you're, you know, surviving and kind of doing this. Were you allowed to come back to visit your family or is it like once you're out, like were you shunned and like outcast and parents like bye? Different, different people have different experiences. So what I experienced was, was sort of a, a degradation of status, right? So I went from being kind of the chosen, the chosen, yeah. uh, the, the golden boy to being the cast off. I was never told that I couldn't come back, but the further away I, I went, the more I didn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Because the more healed I became, the more I realized how dysfunctional mm-hmm. my, my family of origin was. And so I went back, you know, for a, for a number of years, I never went back. Maybe five or six years after I left, I did go back. I took my kids back just because I wanted them to kind of see. And that, that trip was, it was really difficult for me mm. because they, they're still living. I mean, they live in poverty. They live in these really trashy trailers that are falling apart. There's, they're just not caring for mm. their children in ways that I would want children to be cared for. And, and so it's difficult to go. So what I've tried to do is to maintain enough of a relationship with them that if any of my siblings decide to leave, that they can sort of access me as an exit, as, mm-hmm. as an exit ramp. How were you received by that community? Like if you can get into that, where was it weird for them to have you come back? Like, oh, we don't want whatever, you know, Ben's got getting contagious around here. Yeah, there's, there's definitely like some, some <laughs> contagion, right? Like yeah. there's, a, there's a view of me that is a certain way. Yeah. Um, and, and it, and it, what it does is it, it, it sort of make, makes it so that it's difficult to have warm, connective family. Like I, I, I have this image of what family can be, which is a source yeah. of like strength and comfort and, and power. And that's not what family is for me. Like mm-hmm. I don't, when, I, when I'm having a hard time, I don't call my dad or my mom. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I can't really turn to my family for support because their view is the support that I get is, well, you should repent. You should, you should do better, right? The, the reason, in fact, I, I, had, I had kind of a, an experiment with my dad recently over the last like two years where I tried, I was like, I, I felt really deeply the loss of, 
of not really having a dad and mm-hmm. really wanting to have that energy in my life. And so I, I communicated that to him. He seemed open to it. We, we try, kind of tried navigating what that might look like. And because I'd done, uh, because I'd done a lot of therapy and I knew what my yeah. value was, what I realized is that he, he actually didn't have it in him to show up for me in the way that I, I wanted to, to the point where as you, you know, as you heal, you also have to sort of reconstruct your life and the reconstruction of your life is kind of messy. And mm-hmm. part of that for me was going through a, a, a pretty gnarly divorce. Mm-hmm. And rather than getting support from my, from my family, from that, rather than my dad being able to give me the energy that I needed there, which was, Hey, we've got you. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, eventually he told me that he thought that all that my life was falling apart because I went to therapy. Oh, oh and, and I was like, I was like, I mean, that that's accurate. I went to therapy and then I realized the parts of my life that weren't working. And then I've been working to change them. Mm-hmm. But, but for, for that energy to kind of go into, like I've been, I've been getting, I feel like I've been getting more healthy, more functional. I've been becoming mm-hmm. more of myself as I've been healing and to have that reflected back to me from my dad as, yeah, this is, this is a bad thing that it's happening because you yeah. did this. It, it ultimately made me realize that that relationship wasn't a safe relationship for me. And yeah. so I, I kind of had to put some boundaries up. I was going to say, and then probably boundaries really to protect you. And then also your children, right? Because now there's a next yeah. generation. Yeah. Wow. So, so wow. you're talking about like they live in poverty and is it is it like walking into the past? Like if you show up with an iPhone right now, does it blow their minds? Or um, are, they, so are they familiar with that kind of stuff? I'm not, I'm not sure. So, they're, they're pretty familiar with that kind of technology. So they have, they have, they have phones. I don't know. I don't, I think they have, they have, they have some smartphones and, and again, it varies depending on which sect it is. So, so but you're running, they're running a full business, right? Like so they've got to have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I realize, and I understand that there's gotta be somebody there who knows, but they're not telling everybody else. You're not getting taught. There's a lot of restriction restriction around media. So media is really restricted. There's a lot of restriction around information. So what kind of information gets to come in, right? But technology, technology is sort of used and adapted to, to make it work for them. And they can, and and they use, they, they give it to you in whatever way they want. So if this movie just popped in my head, M night Shyamalan, Alan, Alan, whatever his name is. Yeah. The village. That's yeah. a horror. That's a horror movie with a twist, crazy twist at the end. But if you go to a Mormon polygamous compound, if you're allowed to sh- show movies, they could show that movie as a documentary. So literally, this is this is a. Tr- I'm, it's funny that you bring that up because because my dad did that. Like no, my dad uh, had us watch The Village. He loved that. He loves that movie. And the reason that he loves it is because he thinks that the that the village elders are awesome. The good, they're the, that's the, they're, the good people. They're exactly. the good guys. Oh my gosh. Wow. I called that out. I can't believe that, but that's that's what I picture the living arrangement. I mean, I, I, not not completely. Yeah. And it's not a spoiler, but there's a road right next to him. This movie's been out for a while. But there's a road yeah. and civilization right next to them the whole time. They don't yeah, do that. The, the, the way that I would sort of tweak that, because that's a great analogy, and it, but it's again, it's not it's not physical the boundaries mm-hmm. there aren't physical right so it's not like they don't have electricity it's yeah. not like they don't it's not like they don't realize that there's another world out there right mm-hmm. but what they've done is they've over generations they've carefully constructed a again going back to this idea of myth myth mm-hmm. is what makes humans cooperate right yeah. so they've carefully constructed a myth that places them in a role of being separate and above the world and so they have to shun it it's, it's actually really brilliant and a little nefarious because it's not even that they have to limit the, the contact with the outside world. All they have to do is get you to believe that any of that contact is satanic. I was going to say, it's fear too. Yeah, because it, you have to be careful. So they, would, they would tell us all the time, like, you got to be careful what, li- li- what music you listen to. Because mm. if you listen to the wrong music, the beat of the music will actually get you to do like, it'll, it's a slippery slope into wickedness, right? So oh, you wow. don't do that. So it's a very, it's, it's very much based on, it's sort of, it, it programs people to self police in order to maintain their ideological purity. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Ben, I got to ask you, living on a polygamous compound and the wicked world outside, I don't see anywhere that the wickedness can stay out of. 
what kind of wickedness actually happens within that Mormon compound, the polygamous compound? There's got to be, there's got to be wickedness like homosexuality and and drinking yeah. and smoking and cursing. Maybe if you even know what the curse words are, like what <laughs> what happens out there? Like what's what what goes on out there? there there's 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 very little. And, 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 hold on, let me let me preface this by saying I do not actually think homosexuality is a sin. I'm relating this. <laughs> right. Yes, right. I, I, I want to make sure that's clear. I did growing up, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, that's like, because it's like, it's like there's polygamy and then there's monogamy and then there's homosexuality, yeah. right? So like, that's like the oh, furthest opposite <laughs> oh. you could possibly go to. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a level of, there, there's not a lot of that. So, so swearing wasn't, wasn't something we did. No smoking, no drinking, no partying, very rigid, very, very morally uptight. It's interesting because I, I, I make jokes about wickedness and I, I call people out here wicked, yeah. but I actually do think that there is wickedness, right? I actually do believe in evil. And I think that it is happening often in these hyper isolated religious communities. And the way that I would define that is it's teaching humans that they're bad, mm. right? So I, was, I, I grew up believing that my body was bad, that my natural kind of instincts as my body, especially as I got into puberty and started to develop sexually, that that was bad. Oh, yeah. And and what that does is it it creates a cycle of shame in yeah. people because you, if you if you villainize the parts of humans that are natural and normal and healthy, yeah. and then lock them into believing that that's bad, then they get caught in this cycle of shame. Yeah. And then you can control them and manipulate them. Wow. So to me. Evil, it's interesting because like Jesus talks about, um, you know, woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. I, I believe that, right? If you, if you as an institution or as a, if you purport to be a representative of the divine, if you purport to be a religion and you teach people that their bodies are bad and that their natural instincts are bad and evil, I think that's evil. Yeah. Because you're not doing that. The only reason you're doing that is to create cycles of shame in them that then allow you to extort and manipulate them. Mm, Which wow. is what you see in cults all over the world is locking people into these beliefs and then just milking them dry. That's crazy. That's, that, that's, that's insane, man. I, I have one more question I want to ask you. What's the most sinful, wicked thing you've done or seen since you've been out? You cannot ask that. I, I've, I've been, I've been very wicked. Let me, let me tell you. <laughs> I and and, <laughs> and part and part of that too was that I realized after leaving, kind of going on a healing journey and, and realizing that, like doing therapy, what I realized is that I was, in many ways, I was severely underdeveloped. That I was sort of locked in early developmental stages because I hadn't had experiences, right? So I think that now I sort of view it as, I think there's a really natural and healthy way that humans develop and grow, which is we do things, our instincts tell us to do things, and we have wild and crazy teenage years and 20 years where we get a lot of data, right? We're going around, we're, we're around and finding out, right? Mm -hmm. that's, a, <laughs> that's a real thing that humans do. And if you don't around, you can't find out. Mm -hmm. And so, Part of what you have to do, I think, is a natural developmental stage is just do wild and crazy stuff. And then what you do is you, you have those experiences and then you reflect, right? And you sort of listen to your yeah. body and you do some things that you're like, oh, I actually didn't like that thing. Okay, great. Don't do that thing anymore. And then yeah. you do other things and you're like, oh, I really like that thing. Okay, great. Do more of that, right? So maybe, maybe in high school or maybe as a, college, as a college kid, you drink and you party a lot. And, and then you, and you do that a whole bunch and it's super fun. And then after a while, you're kind of like, oh, I'm sort of out of my system. I'm kind of done. I'm what's next. Like, what's the next part of it? And so I felt really, I felt like I was stuck in very early develop, developmental stages because I'd never had that. Mm. And so after I left, after I left uh, religion, after I left my marriage, I was like, I'm going to go and, uh, I'm going to go be as wicked as I possibly can be. I'm going to go do all of the wicked things mm -hmm. that they told me not to do. And I'm going to do it intentionally and I'm going to do it with a lot of fun. And that's how I found myself at Burning Man. Oh, oh. we're not going to go into that. You can listen to his episode. <laughs> we'll say that for a show. <laughs> Ben's episode does have some Burning Man references and we're going to get more talk from Ben on Burning Man. Ben, thanks for joining us on the best yeah. podcast in Utah, Radio Daybreak. 
Make sure you check out his episode. Episode one is out right now on Ride the Wave Media. Also, Ben, guess what? You're you're all over the place on Ride the Wave Media this week. You're going to be on AS for Adversity with Jen Banks this week as well. So we're going to get to yeah. hear you there. Bex, what else so you got awesome. for us? What else is what else we got going on here? I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for the insights and everything that you've provided today. I know our listeners are, are their minds are going to be blown. I think a lot of what you shared are the insights that people don't know. So just thank you. Thank you for being a voice to, you know, especially those kiddos that, that can't and will never have that opportunity because of, you know, where they were born. So Ben, let's get the people out there to give their 10% tithing this week to the charity of your choice. What's the charity again? Can you give us that info? Yeah, the charity is called uh, Cherish Families. It's based in, it's actually based in Colorado City in, in Southern Utah. When Warren Jeffs got sent to jail, they came in and they took all his So <laughs> they have, they actually have his church building. That's their headquarters. Oh, and wow. They're just a, a really cool organization. Cherishfamilies.org is where people love, can find them. Cherishfamilies.org. Go give your 10% tie this week to them. We won't be knocking on doors for, for if you don't, but we would love to have that. Make sure you check out Vibing the Apocalypse. It's, this show's amazing. You got to yeah, really check it out. Ben, again, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Before we let you go, we do want to ask, it sounds like you've got a couple events and some things coming up. Yeah, I've got a couple of shows coming up at Wise Guys here in Salt Lake City. If you guys like what I heard, what you heard, and you want to come laugh with me about religious trauma, I have some shows coming up end of January. And if you're, if you want to follow me on my social media, uh, that's the Fresh King Benjamin on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to book me as a comedian, you can check out my website, freshkingbenjamin.com, where you can also join my cult. Oh, I love it. Join the cult. It's so awesome. Join the cult, man, and check out Vibing the Apocalypse right here on Ride the Wave Media. It's a weekly show. It features Ben as the host, and that show's going to get real crazy as we go along, too, because we're going to get some guests in there with him. We're going to have a lot of people come in and show him the wickedness that's out there. So can't wait. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Do you want to unleash your inner power and heal your past wounds? Do you want to learn the secrets of Celtic wisdom and magic? Do you want to transform your life and align with your true purpose? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to listen to Practically Magic, the podcast that shows you how to use ancient healing in a modern way. Join me, Courtney Earle, a self-proclaimed witch, healer, and Celtic priestess, and let me guide you through the dark cauldron of your subconscious and help you emerge with a new vision of yourself. Practically Magic is more than just a podcast. It is a journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Tune in every week and get ready to experience massive healing, balance, and peace for your soul and body. Listen on Ride the Wave Media.